Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? No, right? Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, are you all ready? Are you in the festive holiday spirits? You guys ready for Christmas? Yeah. Who here already has their Christmas tree up? Show of hands. Amen. Who here, who here has got their lights up already? Yes, a couple of you. Uh, better question, who here is rocking the inflatables in the front yard? Yeah, inflatables, right? That's, that's worth, no, no show of hands. No one, or maybe you're just too embarrassed. That's fine. You can come talk to me after the service uh, about the inflatables. I love the inflatables. And uh, lastly, who's already started listening to Christmas music in their cars? Yes, yes, almost everyone. Thank you, Jesus. Well, in honor of Christmas season, uh, we're going to take a break from our uh, Acts sermon series that we've been at for almost uh, the whole year now, uh, which is awesome. For, so for the next three weeks, we're going to be diving into Advent. And our Advent sermon series theme is Our Generous God where for the next three weeks we're going to be looking at God's generosity to, uh, towards us in the giving of his son to save us from our sins and reconciling, uh, reconciling us back to the heart of the Father and how the gospel, God's radical generosity towards us, fuels our generosity towards others. And the verse that's going to kind of frame out our sermon series these next three weeks is this. It's 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And that's our hope, is as we behold Jesus, his sacrificial generosity in leaving his throne and laying down his life for us, and the wealth we possess in him, out of that spiritual abundance, God would transform our hearts through his word, by the Spirit, so that we would be a people who are radically generous for the glory of his name and for the good of others. And so today, I'm just going to do a broad overview of the topic on generosity. I got a lot of verses to share. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about your money. So buckle up, squirm in your seats a little bit. Um, I'm not too uh, comfortable speaking about money, and I'm sure you're not too comfortable listening to me speak about money. So uh, it's going to be great. Uh, next week, Saju's going to preach on the birth of Christ, uh, looking at the depths of Christ's poverty and his incarnation, the height of our riches. Through that, and then I'll be wrapping up December 19th, looking at the wise men, their response to the coming of the king. So next week, um, get here early, get good seats, because Saju will be preaching, and it'll be awesome. Amen. Well, before we uh, go any further, let's go to our king in prayer. Father, we just come before you so grateful. We thank you that you don't, uh, you don't leave us as orphans. You give us your presence, and you've given us the beautiful, beautiful, precious gift of, of your word, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that um, your word points us to your heart. And you're not after our wallets today. You're after our hearts. That's why you came. That's why you incarnated. That's why you uh, went to the cross was because you're after each and every one of our hearts because you have so much love and affection for us that you wanted to save us and deliver us from the false god of materialism and the ruin that riches can bring our hearts. And so these next three weeks, we open up our hearts and our hands to receive, Holy Spirit, what you want to do in our hearts. Make us like your son, Father. Make us like Jesus. Help us to see his radical love his sacrificial generosity, and may that do something internally in us where we don't just go to you and say, give me more, give me more, give me more, but we say, give us more opportunities to be generous and to show others how amazing our God is and how good he's been to us. 
So this morning, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would come and you would have your way. We want to be your people. We want to shine brightly in this dark world. And we want to show the world that you, Jesus, are far more precious than our possessions. And so to you be the glory today. And all God's people said, amen. All right, well, the main premise, my one point of the talk is this. I'm going to throw a ton of scripture your way, which I love doing, is this. Generosity flows from a heart transformed by the grace of God. I'll repeat that. True, abundant, radical generosity flows from a heart that's been transformed by the radical generosity and grace of God shown to us in Christ Jesus. And the reason I say that is often when we talk about generosity, we immediately go to the external, right? We're immediately thinking, okay, we're going to be talking about generosity, so let's talk about budget. Let's talk about Let's talk about percentages. Is it a true 10% of your tithe, or is it more than that? You know, let's, let's talk about all the things we can do. Meanwhile, if our hearts are sick, if our hearts are held firmly in the clutches of materialism, we can, I can give you 10 highly effective steps to be more generous, but unless, unless the Lord comes and changes your heart, it's going to be meaningless, absolutely meaningless. Um, and so generosity, what we see, becoming more like Jesus and being a people of radical generosity is an inner work well before it's an outer work. Um, it's a work of our hearts well before it's a work of our hands. Bless you and bless you. Um, and this is what Jesus clearly teaches. Uh, this is what I love right about our Savior is he, he goes right through all the facade of religiosity and he puts his finger on the heart. What is the heart? You might be saying the heart is the inner man, the, the intersection of our, our thoughts, our, our wills, our emotions, our deepest longings, our deepest drives. And this is what Jesus, your Savior, has to say about our hearts. Now listen, I'm going to say some very highly offensive things. And so I'm giving you a trigger warning today that I'm actually just quoting somebody when I say things that are offensive. His name is Jesus. So you have an issue, take it off with him. Matthew 15, 17 through 20. Do you not see, Jesus talking about um, uh, the Pharisees and the, 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 the laws regarding food and, and all the external uh, uh, kind of tips and tricks they would do to make sure they didn't transgress the law. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 17 through 20. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth and passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And this defiles a person. This defiles a person. For out of the heart, the inner man, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who simply looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adulter adultery with her. Where? In his heart. In his heart. And then, man, you got to buckle your seatbelt for Matthew 23. Anyone read Matthew 23 lately? The, the, the seven woes, Jesus just rips into the Pharisees, the religious hypocrites of his day. And this is what he says in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And yes, there's an exclamation point there. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. Is this not the story of our lives? Man, right? Like we're all tempted with this, polishing the outside. Give me, Nick, give me the seven steps to look more generous. Meanwhile, I don't really care if I'm, I'm greedy on the inside, right? You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside, what are they full of? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, greed. Greed. 
and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. Pulled no punches. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And so all that to say, the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about money and generosity and giving. And what needs to be said out of the gate is that Jesus doesn't need your money. God is self-sufficient in and of himself. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, Often when we talk about money, we have this picture of like, you know, God being a bully grabbing us by the ankles in grade school and shaking all the quarters out of us, right? So we could get, you know, double lunch at lunchtime. That's not what Jesus is after. Jesus, let it be said, Jesus is not after your wallets. He's after your hearts. He's after your hearts. And often, because of that, because Jesus is after your heart, and when your heart is fully yielded to him, that's where you actually find full, true, abundant life because of that. In love, Jesus repeatedly, consistently warns and cautions humanity and his followers primarily of the enslaving, potentially damning dangers that money can bring to your heart. The love of money, let me say from the outset as well, money is completely morally neutral. It's the love of money. And money can just jack up your heart is what Jesus is saying. And because of that, this is some of the things that Jesus says about money. A fun stat is that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. Jesus talked more about money in the Gospels than he did heaven or hell. Why? Because he uh, wanted to be uh, his followers' financial advisor and give you tricks on how to, how to level up your life. And so all the Christians in the world would be in the top 1% of the world's wealth. Is that, why, is that really why Jesus talked more about money? No, no, the reason Jesus talked about it, he was slapping a surgeon general warning on, on money. And he was saying this stuff can jack you up and ruin your life and can lead you to eternal separation from me. So heads up. And so uh, the prosperity gospel, we're not exactly sure where it came from, but where we can be absolutely sure where it did not come from is the mouth of Jesus Christ. Exhibit A, Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against this political agenda. Against this conspiracy theory. American church, the church in America, what we need to be on guard for is our greed, is what Christ is saying here. I think the message for us today, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So uh, anyone here been to the Outer Banks, the beach? Love it. Oh man, it's amazing. Okay, so you've maybe heard me share this story before, but a while back, my brother And his wife and my nieces were swimming in the ocean, and it was a beautiful day. They're playing in the waves, and I'm on my beach chair. It's like a Corona beer commercial, right? Just the ambiance was awesome, and I'm just watching them play uh, from the the shoreline. And all of a sudden, I see a fin about five, ten yards back kind of go up, go back down. And I I didn't tell my brother this a little bit after this happened. I go, was that a dolphin? Is that a shark? I don't know, but I don't want to freak out. I get made fun of the whole week. You're like, oh, it's a shark, but it's like it's cute little dolphins. But I was like, that thing didn't really curve. It was kind of like one of these, not one of, you know what I'm saying? And then like, thankfully, like five seconds later, it was like full on thrashing behind them. Like two fins up, clearly a shark, 
eating something behind them or about to eat them. So the whole shoreline sees it and they're like, watch out, get out of the water, shark. Like, you're like, get out. And then my brother, you know, scoops him up. The joke was like he pushed the nieces, you know, over and then they got out of the water. Um, but what Jesus is doing in, in this text here when he says watch out to us is he's saying, I can see something you guys don't see. Like in that moment, their backs were turned and they, they were like, hey, this is the ocean. There's no danger here. There's no warning here. I'm saying, I, I can see from my vantage point, I see something you don't see that is actually really dangerous. And you can still play in the ocean. You can still have a great time, but just keep your head on a swivel, right? Keep your head on a swivel because of the dangers that money can bring. The Holy Spirit through Paul in 1 Timothy 6 says this, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Watch this, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The bottom line is if you, like, going back to my ocean and shark illustration— the, the more you love somebody and the greater danger that they're in risk of, the more you're going to shout and the louder you're going to shout. And that's what God is doing. God isn't a cosmic fun buster. He wants us to be poor, broken, miserable. He's saying, he's saying, listen, none of us think money's an issue in our hearts. None of us think greed is an issue in our hearts. And that's why he consistently says you have to watch out because money can very well grab a hold of your heart. And what it does, what we see in 1 Timothy 6, it, it, it can plunge plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's strong language. Verse 10, for the love of money, not money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving, this lust, this desire that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Matthew 13, 22. As for what, this is the parable of the sower. As for, this is Jesus now. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The way the enemy can actually choke out the preached gospel in somebody's life is through possessions, money, and all the cares and the anxieties and the comforts of this world to the point that now that gospel fruit doesn't lead to fruit. So basically what Jesus is saying, if you want to live a fruitful life unto me, don't let money lie to you. The deceitfulness of riches. Don't let money, all, every single commercial is straight up propaganda. Like you guys, you guys got to know that. It is propaganda. Go read shameless book recommendation, every sermon. I'm just throwing books here. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. He has a beautiful chapter on consumerism and materialism, and he traces the, his, the kind of the historicity of it will. Its genesis is actually from uh, uh, someone in the Nazi camp who was a propaganda uh, a kind of uh, uh, think tank over there and who was highly influential in the marketing and advertisement that we experience now in the West, right, and, 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 and making us consumers. So Matthew 13 22, if you want to live a fruitful life, don't let money and your possessions lie to you. That true life and true abundance is found in the abundance of your possessions. That's a lie. That's a lie. Uh, Jesus continues, Matthew 19, 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel, don't you love Jesus' sense of humor sometimes? 
to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Would you, like, like here, here's the bottom line. If we believe what Jesus just said is true, which we do, right, then there is almost potentially nothing more dangerous than becoming rich. It's Jesus. I, I, got, I got red ink. Look, check the live stream. Words of Jesus. There's almost nothing more dangerous for your heart and your walk with the Lord than getting mega wealthy, according to what Jesus is saying. Because your love for money can lead you unto damnation, not unto salvation. And is that cruel for Jesus to say? Is he trashing all people who have money and he's rich? No, he's, it's the most loving thing he can say to them. It's the most loving thing he can say to them is I want your heart. I don't want money to have your heart and you to be separate from me. I want you to enter my kingdom. So if you are rich, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus is saying, hey, heads up, just guard your heart because when you're rich, you often have no need for the God hypothesis in your life. I have no need for that hypothesis. I have everything I need. I don't need God. That's one of the dangers of the Western world. If, you're, if you make over 35K a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. Just 35K a year. And so I'm going to keep throwing scripture your way. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Just to show you that this is Jesus' constant refrain to us about our possessions. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys uh, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure, your chief delight in life is your treasure, then it's not Jesus. And true life is found is when Jesus surpasses his, the, the value you place on Jesus and knowing him and following him, obeying him, supersedes your wealth, supersedes your comfort, supersedes your possessions. Luke 14, 33 says this. I have a different translation of mine. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. That's harsh language, right? That renunciation of all of your wealth, not liquidating all your assets, handing over the title to all of your assets to Jesus to be his follower. We're saying, all of this is yours. If you want to leverage every penny in my bank account, bank account for your kingdom, then that's unto you, King Jesus. Why? Why is that? Because we are not our own. As a Christian, we were bought with a price. We've been redeemed out of slavery from our sins, from Satan himself, transferred into the kingdom of God, and we are not autonomous individuals as Christians. Paul would always describe himself in the scriptures as a bond servant of Christ, a slave of Christ. I am not my own. I was bought with the blood of Jesus. Everything that I say is mine is actually thine. It's his. It's his. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. All, my, all to you, my life is surrendered. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, including our wallets. And uh, lastly, you guys can take a deep breath. <sighs> Matthew 6, and we'll shift gears here. No one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, subtle suggestion here. It might not be a good idea to serve money. He says, you actually cannot love me and love money. 
It's, it's, it's impossible. And Jesus here does something remarkable. He kind of personifies money itself. He actually, in the, uh, the Aramaic term, is mammon. And he says you cannot serve God and mammon and kind of deifies money in a way and kind of puts it on a similar tier as a king and master and lord on the same plane as God in regards to our hearts. You track that? He says, he says we can actually, in our lives, bow down to and serve and worship money and possessions at the cost of our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is saying that is impossible to think that you can straddle the line and have two kings, two lords, and two masters over your life giving you conflicting advice. And the warning here is immense. This is the warning Jesus gives. You might be asking why I busted out this super trendy table this morning. It's because I wanted my coffee with me. That's why. (laughs) Rough night last night with the kids. All right. Um, The warning here is this. Your love of money your love of money can cause you to despise God, to hate God, to loathe God. Anyone here had a, had a, a family dog growing up? Yeah, oh man, I had the best, I had a dog way better than your dog growing up. Just bragging my dog. Cody was awesome. Cody was a shepherd mix, he was so loyal. You could like leave him out in the front yard to like do his thing and he had no fence and he would just come back, almost like knock three times. You know, when he wanted to come back inside, you let him inside. Just a great dog. Like, would never bite people, all that stuff, until you would give him a bone. And then you would give him a bone, and he would, I don't know if he got demon-possessed or, like, what happened, but you give him a bone, and then if you ever got near him, he would just, you know, just like, he would literally nip at your hands if you tried to take the bone from him. The bone from him. So the master gives Cody a bone to bless him. Say, I love you, man. Here's a bone from Petco, you know, a, a pig hide or whatever. Well, not a pig hide, but you know what I'm saying? Like, pig ear, you know, I don't know why they give those to dogs, but it's like bacon form. Anyways, and uh, the dog who once loved you now is more in love with what you gave him to the point that he despises you if you try to take it from him. It says, the, 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 the servant telling the master says, I'll, I'll bite that digit off your hand right now if you try to take this from me, right? You see exhibit A right there, God can bless us. God loves to bless his people with financial uh, provision in our lives. And then the, our hearts are so deceitful that now we are more in love with the gift than the giver of the gifts to the extent when God prompts us, puts it on our heart to, to give away, we, we snarl and we harden our hearts and we say, how dare you touch my money, my possessions, right? Um, how many, okay, I had another story to share about my kids. Don't need another illustration. So here's the deal. The clear teaching of Jesus is this. Just as much humanity, just as much as me, Savior, as I'm after your heart, I'm running for you, I'm pursuing for you, I'm coming for you with everything I have, just as much as I'm after your heart, money's after your heart as well. Money's after your heart. The devil through possessions is after your heart. So that now, uh, the, the song we sing, I love what we're singing in worship today, my, my heart will sing no other name. My heart will sing no other name. Jesus, a great song, right? You don't want me to sing it, but it's a great song. Great song, that my heart will sing no other name. But if we were to, it's so interesting that that was the, I didn't know that was the worship song, but I have a whole uh, worship song of our hearts to money, subconsciously that we sing. If money has our hearts gripped in bondage and slavery, this is our heart song that we sing to money. 
Money, I love the security that you bring to me and my family. Money, you're my strong tower. You're the refuge I run to. Money, you're my provider. You're my present help in time of need. It's under the shadow of your wings that I find comfort. Money, you hold and secure my future. My future is held, is held firmly in your hands, oh money. I love the joy. I love the comfort. I love the safety you bring me, money. In your presence, money, there's fullness of joy. And I will seek you, and I will serve you all the days of my life for you, money, wealth, 401k, my investments, you have prepared a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with over uh, my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And surely, I'm certain of this: goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I have wealth. Let's worship to a false god, and his name is Mammon. And that wrecks my heart. The, re the reason, man, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's been wrecking my heart. And knowing that subconsciously the Holy Spirit had to reveal that to me two years ago in a powerful moment in my life, that that was the subconscious love I had for wealth and what wealth could bring me. And so all that to say, if that is our heart posture towards money, we don't need these next three weeks, a couple steps on how to be more generous. We need radical heart transformation that only Jesus Christ can, be, can bring by the power of the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit. And the far greater reality that Jesus invites us to and out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery to possessions and consumerism and greed and materialism, the far greater reality Jesus invites us into is a life where we are free to fully love and enjoy him and love what he loves and value what he values, which is people, not things. People, not things. And the only way freedom for a life of radical generosity comes is when our love for money and our possessions and our hearts is superseded by a greater love, superseded by a greater desire, superseded by a greater passion for Jesus. When I first met Jan, roughly uh, 2010, 2011, I met her one weekend at uh, Rockbridge Young Life Camp. We were both serving there. Students going back to work, uh, work crew. That's right, yeah, awesome trip. Uh, I'm, I'm going to join you. I'm going to get someone to preach that way. I'm going to join you. Anyways, um, and the uh, first time I ever saw Jen was uh, fr the Friday. It was a Friday to Sunday deal, and I fell, I fell hard really fast, just to put it nicely, to the point that she was about to leave on Sunday without, me, without even saying goodbye to me, which was totally messed up. And uh, my buddy gave me a heads up. He said, he said yo, Bridgewater's leaving, because she's from Bridgewater. And I was like, Bridgewater's leaving. You got to go get her. I was like, what? And on my phone, I had a flip phone at the time. You guys probably don't even know what that is. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I didn't have any way to get her number, so my, my pastor at the time, his little kid had a, no joke, was on the stage like this, drawing with a, a crayon, and I said, hey, brother, sorry, I need that real quick. Took it from him. <laughs> and got, literally got Jen's number for, uh, with, a, with a crayon and a piece of paper. It's awesome. Anyways, three days later, after meeting her, less than a week later, I'm driving. All of a sudden, when I'm overwhelmed with delight and love for someone I hope to be my future spouse, because uh, I knew then, that they, absolutely. Uh, uh, time doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. I'm driving four hours south to Blacksburg, Virginia, 
we're going to go on our first date. I'm going to spend a ton of money, and uh, the date's going to end around midnight, 1 a.m., and I'm going to drive, no joke, four and a half hours back that night, get back home around 5.30, 6 a.m., smiling the whole way back. And then, and then Jen's going to come up to, to Northern Virginia, and we're going to go to Georgetown. I'm going to drop a ton of cash on dinner and all this stuff um, just to show her that I'm super wealthy, so she'll marry me. Um, <laughs> which I wasn't. I was a youth pastor at the time, making like a solid 25K a year. It's awesome. Anyways, um, but what am I communicating to, to Jen in that moment? You're what matters most to me. I love you. I value you more than I value my time. Where you are is where I want to be. I value more. I value you more than I value my possessions. You're worth it. You're worth it. Why are you spending so You're worth it. You're worth it. I, we're not going on no coffee date, right? I'm not, I'm not dipping my toes in. We're going, we're going all out. We're going to Georgetown, all right? Um, and in the same way, when we encounter the love of Jesus and we hear the gospel and we behold his love on the cross for us, his laying down of his life, and when Jesus becomes our ultimate treasure, it frees us from the death grip our earthly treasures have on us. And it sets us free to radically lay down those treasures and love for others. And so therefore, true generosity is first and foremost about treasuring God in our hearts above wealth and valuing others as more important than your money. And so we had a, a leader dinner, a Christmas dinner on Friday for all of our leaders, department leaders, community group leaders, uh, 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 elders, so on and so forth, all the leaders at the Workmen's. It was amazing. And do you guys remember Seth and Natalia Gwynn? amazing couple. They're awesome. He's in the Navy. Uh, unfortunately uh, for them, they got stationed in Hawaii, which is a terrible place to get stationed. Uh, but she was back at one of a, a work party, and so she surprised all of us on Friday. And she told this story. We're like, how's Hawaii? You know, all this stuff. And her husband's been TDY'd on a boat somewhere, you know, spying on somebody. And, um, and uh, she's like, man, you won't believe how I found the church we're a part of now. It was like the first couple weeks she was there. She's driving to church, so I'm getting the story correctly, and the truck breaks down. It's like smoking, all this stuff. She pulls in the parking lot, and she meets this, this guy and his family, and he's a doctor. He's a surgeon. He's got deep pockets. He's super wealthy, and, and um, he looks at her, and uh, long story short, I think they have church, and after the service, she's kind of crying, kind of like, man, like I'm 40 minutes from my house. I'm in the middle. I'm a totally new. I'm on an island in the middle of the ocean. I've never been before. You know, I don't know, like, I don't know what to do. They take her, his family takes her. They're like, don't worry about the car, we'll take care of it. They make her a steak lunch. Like, he grills up a steak. And he says, hey, I got to work tomorrow. It'll be, you know, he's a surgeon in the NICU, I think. And um, I'm going to work tomorrow. And I personally will change the, the diesel oil filter on your truck. Meanwhile, you need a car. Here's not the keys, but here's the, like, the, the, the fob to my Tesla just met her a couple hours earlier. She starts like fighting back tears and is like, I just met you. What are you doing? You can't do this. You can't trust me with this car. The doors go like this. <laughs> you know, like, am I going to fly away? Like, I don't know what's going to, legit, it was the Tesla. She said the doors went like this. It was awesome. And I had to Google, how much was that? It's a lot of money. And the guy goes, the guy goes, it's not about that. This is what he said to her, if I'm getting it correctly. She, he said, he said, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. People matter. Things don't. Take my car. I got your car covered. Boom! 
oh, beautiful. She was, she was crying. She was tearing up as she was telling me. She said, she's never been shown that kind of radical generosity. Like, like if Jesus were to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan in 2021, it'd be like, here's the keys to my Tesla, right? You know, like, and a steak dinner. And not only that, then the guy, because he's just such a boss, he repaired his car on his own dime. And uh, truly amazing. And I love that line that he said, is things don't matter, people do. So we could ask, hey, this guy, he actually had two Teslas. This guy was wealthy. Living in Hawaii, two Teslas. He was wealthy. Was he living in sin because he was rich? Absolutely not. I mean, I mean, does Jesus tell you how many Teslas is too far? Right? Like, what's, what's the baseline salary, right? No, no, no. He wasn't living, I mean, I don't know the guy, so I can't say, but theoretically speaking, um, he wasn't living in sin because he had wealth, but his wealth didn't have him. Jesus had his heart. To the point that he can hand someone probably a $50,000 car he just met. And I know those things, like, he could probably drive it from a cell phone, like, secretly. You know, like, but even still, here it is. You matter to me because God loves you. We're family. You're a child of God. Take this car. I don't need it. You need it. Oh, it's beautiful. He had money, but his money didn't have him. And I love what John Mark Comer says about life. He says, the most important things in life aren't things at all. They are relationships with family, friends, and above all, God. Richard Foster puts it this way. A carefree, unconcerned for possessions is what marks life in the kingdom of God. A carefree, unconcerned for possessions is what marks life in the kingdom. This is what Jesus in Matthew 6 perpetually invites his followers to, to do. You have a provider. You're going to be all right. Stop worrying. Don't stress. Seek my kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. All these things will be added unto you. Because what is of ultimate fundamental importance in your life is knowing the living God encountering his grace in Christ Jesus, becoming transformed and enveloped in his loving embrace, and then therefore living your life as his instrument and means to extending that same love to others. That's it right there. Knowing the living God as an undeserved sinner, reconciled by the cross to the Father, uh, 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 every day waking up with every spiritual blessing as your inheritance both now and forevermore. And now being saying, God, now use me to testify to your goodness. With how I view my wealth, let me testify what you, how you and your wealth, what you've done for me. Let, me, let me. let me put you on display to the watching world with how I'm radically generous to others. And we see, uh, I'll slowly wrap up with this. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. We see a beautiful example of what the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus does to hearts, and money, and giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, the context of 2 Corinthians 8 is the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and in this section in his letter to the Christians at uh, the church at Corinth, what he's doing is he's soliciting funds for the uh, persecuted poor Jews in Jerusalem, and he tells the Corinthians uh, about the Macedonians, an example of giving, and this is what he says about the Macedonian believers and their posture towards giving towards the persecuted church in Jerusalem, we want you to know, excuse me, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy 
and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should comp complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's pointing them to Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So three things I want to highlight before we wrap up here. One, I love, I love, I love what we see with the Macedonian believers in verse 2. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Those, what we see in scripture, are not opposed to each other. The key teaching of Jesus is that an abundance of wealth does not equal an abundance of joy. What Jesus says is the opposite. Actually, what an abundance of wealth can actually provide is an abundance of misery. I give you joy everlasting. That's not contingent upon how many zeros follow your, you know, or lack thereof, your salary. And so although these Macedonian believers were broke financially, they had a better currency that they were rolling deep in, church. They had some deep pockets of joy in Christ. They were abundant in a spiritual currency that ultimately mattered. And the impression we get from this text is that if you were to look at these Macedonians and call them broke or poor, they say, don't you dare. I know I, I got dirt floors. And we don't know where our next meal is going to come from. And we're living paycheck to paycheck. But don't you dare call me broke. I possess the spirit of God as a down payment for my inheritance forever because of Christ Jesus. I'm the wealthiest person on the planet earth. Because if I have Jesus Christ, I have everything I need. You have any idea who my father is? You have any idea what Christ has done for me? You have any idea the riches of his grace that I live in every day? Don't you? You can say a lot of things, maybe financially poor, but I ain't broke, Right? I'm wealthy in what truly matters. And what we learn here by the Macedonians is the only way you're going to be radically generous is not if you get more money, if you get more of Jesus inside of you. You get more of that joy that's not contingent upon circumstances, but it's the joy of knowing the precious, your creator and your redeemer who died so that you can know the depths and the fullness of his joy, so that his joy could become your joy and it wouldn't be contingent upon your possessions. It was out of this spiritual abundance that they gave. So you know I want to become more generous. It ain't about budgeting first and foremost. That's all great. I got nothing against that. It's about, man, what's our joy firmly rooted in? What's our ultimate treasure? Second, second thing I want to highlight is this. This, this wrecked me this week in this office, in, in the office I was sermon prepping. The Macedonian believers did something that is the most insane thing. If we slow down, for the next couple of minutes here and, and talk about this. It says in verse, verse 4, Paul says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Imagine that. A completely afflicted, completely poor, persecuted because they're believers, and they're on their hands, and, and Paul uses strong language. He says, begging, like, like hands and knees, begging, begging, saying, Paul, 
What are they not begging for? We need food. Our kids are hungry. Give us more. We need help. No, no, their heart cry, they're begging earnestly, saying, don't you dare rob us of this opportunity to give to the church in Jerusalem. Don't look at my poor clothes. Don't look at my lack of food in my pantry. Don't you dare rob us. Don't overlook us. We want to be used by God to meet the needs of our brothers overseas. Don't rob us of that opportunity. What are we begging God earnestly to do with our possessions? When I asked my, when I was practicing this in my sermon, like in, in, in 2021, I, I went from overseeing one budget, my family's budget, to two, the church's budget. And there's thankfully, by God's grace, four eyes on that, the elders, and Nick Bumgarner's a genius, and so his eyes are on that budget too, so it's not just me, praise the Lord. But I'm overseeing two budgets now, and we're turning the year, and we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, like, Lord, what do you want to do with this money? And when I said that line in the office, what are we earnestly begging God to do? with our possessions. It wrecked me, and the Holy Spirit just overwhelmed me. I was just, I was just, you know, whatever, and I got, I started weeping. I just started weeping, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit completely revealed to me, Nick, your desires, your prayer requests need to change. It's been get, 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 Lord. There's some needs, man. There's some needs. Come on, just, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. There's some needs. There's a little bit more. What would it look like? The Lord wrecked me with this. Nick, what would it look like for you and the elders in the transit church, corporately as the body of Christ, to be on our hands and knees begging God earnestly to use us to advance his kingdom. God, use our money. Give me an opportunity today to show the world what you're like. Lord, give us, like, like what if we're showing, what, what, if, what, what if that's our heart cry? And that's what it was for the Macedonians. It wasn't get, give me, give me, give me, give me more. No, it was give us the opportunity to bless and to love others. In our men's Bible study, if you're a dude here, you're not on the email distro, every Wednesday at my house at 6 a.m., we get into the Word of God that's going to be preached the coming Sunday. And um, uh, one of the comments that was made was this idea of the church funding the war effort, funding the war effort overseas and, and locally, that we see our monies through the lens of there's this beautiful battle going on of the kingdom advancing in love across the nations. And what would it look like for us to truly not just be about our own nation, but our fellow believers in Mozambique who are being slaughtered right now and to lose some of our funds over there to help them and to, and to have the gospel go to the nations and for us to not just give uh, according to our means, but for us to give in a way that actually uh, it goes beyond our means, where we actually have to sacrifice a little, a little bit, so that those believers who are advancing the gospel in unreached people groups are actually not lacking what they need to do that. What are we earnestly, with tears, pounding the floor, begging God to do with our possessions? It's a completely different mindset in regards to wealth. And I'll conclude with this. And band, you can come forward. Verse 9. Absolutely beautiful. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, the words of Jesus, he said this. He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That which you supremely value is evidence of what you value in your heart. To treasure something, is anything we value above all else, and then that which motivates us to action. 
That's what it means to treasure something. That which we supremely value, which then motivates us to action. And so if we were to ask the question, according to 2 Corinthians 8 9, what did Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, and all of his wealth, and all of his glory, and all of his divinity, what did he treasure and hold dear to his heart above all that? And the simple teaching of the gospel is above his divinity, his divine privileges, if you will, and his wealth and his throne. He valued you. He valued me. He valued humanity more than all that to the extent that he was willing to leave it all behind just so he could get your heart and to set you free from anything that would rob you from being eternally separated from him forever. What kind of king not only leaves his throne and incarnates and walks among us, what, what kind of king not only does that, what kind of king, uh, what we see here is kind of liquidates his assets, if you will, becomes poor, born into a young, dirt floor poor family who are fleeing persecution. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Clothes himself in suffering and pain and poverty and humility. He leaves it all. He liquidates it. He leaves his throne. He descends. What kind of king doesn't just leave his throne and, and lay down all of his riches, but what kind of king lays down his very life to purchase you in love back to his heart. Our king does. Jesus does. That's his love for us. That's the gospel. What Jesus Christ held dear and treasured above his riches and his glory was you and me. His love for us superseded his love of his wealth. And he did that just so he could get your heart. And now because of that, because of his descent, because of his poverty, you and I, those of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ, we're going to be more than all right. We're going to be just fine. You feel that? That's what Jesus does. We're going to be all right. Some of you coming in here, maybe it's been a rough year financially. A lot of volatility in the market. Instability with your jobs, your careers. You don't know what's going to happen next month or two months down the road. You're going to be fine. You have a great father who loves you and has promised to provide for all your needs. Just as he clothes the lilies in the field, he's going to clothe you and he's going to clothe your kids. That's our father. He who gave his son, how much more will he not also give us all things? Give us all things. That's our generous God. The Father giving his son for undeserving sinners who didn't deserve the riches of his grace. And yet he lavished it upon us. He laid it all down. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that's Christ's posture towards you, his posture towards you. And that's what communion commemorates. Uh, we're going to respond with the taking and commemorating of communion. So if you need communion elements, there's some in the hallway. Grab some at home. On the night that Jesus Christ was uh, betrayed, he shared one final meal with his disciples. And he said uh, this bread that he broke was going to represent 
him literally laying down his body, which would be torn open and rended as a sacrifice for sinners. And he said, drink this wine, which is going to represent my blood shed for you to cleanse you from all your sins, all your impurities, all your wickedness. It will all be covered and atoned for. And what um, this meal commemorates, what we see here, is the cost that God was willing to go to rescue you. This is the depths of God's love for you. The highest price in all the world that could be paid was given onto you. What could be more valuable and precious to purchase someone than the very living God, the King of Kings, the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ? How do you determine the value of something? It's the price that somebody's willing to go to pay to purchase it. That's how you determine value. What's the cost? What's the cost? This is the value. Jesus Christ, very body and broken, body, body broken and blood shed for you. This is what he's gone to, the lengths and the heights he's gone to, to rescue you from your sins and reconcile you to the Father. So let's celebrate that love. Let's rest in that love. And let's rejoice in that love as we take communion today. Body of Christ broken for you. And blood of Christ shed for your sins and mine. And so as we sing uh, one last song to our King and we behold his love and his mercy and his sacrifice for us, let's posture our hearts in repentance, right? The Christian life is a life of repentance. And if our heart's been singing to some other God, let's repent of that today. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and search us of where our hearts have been chasing after idols and have been gripped firmly by love of wealth and comfort and possessions. And let's repent, but then also not just stay there, but repent and believe that Jesus has atoned for that, but invites us into something else. And what he invites us into is the refrain we're gonna sing in this song, is that my heart, because of the depths of your love, what you've done for me, now the song of my heart will be this, I will sing no other name. No other name, nothing else will grip my heart but you, Jesus. So you can stay seated or stand, but we're gonna sing one last song of praise to our King.